So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Kafaru Cast. I have got uh, three super cool dudes. Uh, all three of them quite extraordinary. Uh, actually, one of the coolest families I've ever met. I've had them on the podcast before, but it's been a while. Uh, but that is the Clums from Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. So Danny, Tommy, and Tom Sr. Um, you guys are all spread all, all over the place right now, but welcome aboard. I appreciate you guys coming back on. Morning, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us, Aaron. So, uh, uh, I've had, like I said, I've had you guys on before. It's been quite a while. Can each one of you guys kind of introduce yourselves and kind of tell about the family a little bit? Who do you want to start with, Aaron? I'd probably start with you first. <laughs> okay, start with the old guy. Okay, I'm I'm uh, Tom. Uh, you know. My dad was a Tom, like, you know, I got called Tommy. We kind of went down the line with that. So to distinguish when Tommy's in the shop a lot, Tom and Tommy or old Tom or senior. So anyway, I started Rocky Mountain Special Gear in the mid nineties. And, uh, it was a real challenge. I was a traditional bow hunter, started like everybody else with a compound in 1976 um, boys got out of college. I was about to give this baby up and boys got out of college. says, no, keep this thing. So we have built a business, you know, you know, the, the three of us and, you know, the boys brought new ideas, built a website and have done all the things that really need to be done to make a successful business. Uh, I grew up in a hunting, fishing lifestyle and brought my boys up in the same way. Uh, I was interested in, in building hunting partners. We go fishing if they want to throw rocks. They could throw rocks. They've been shooting a bow uh, since they could handle one. Uh, sorry, guys, I wasn't uh, a coach then and didn't know how to teach it well. But uh, <laughs> my, well, my grandkids are really flipping good. Uh, but anyway, I'm Dad. We've been doing this business together since the mid-'90s, and we're uh, all doing what we love. Somebody else now. Yeah, you, you just want us to go down the line, Aaron, and kind of introduce ourselves? Yeah, yeah, do that, and then I'll, I'll uh, ask some questions after that. So. Yeah, sounds good. I'm I'm Tommy. It's funny because in the, in the archery world, I'm Tommy. Everywhere else in my life, I'm just Tom. <laughs> and so uh, it's funny when I, my friends, um, you know, from wrestling, they see me at the archery store, and, and they go, wait, they call you Tommy? But, uh, yeah, I think my dad pretty much – I mean, explain the, the quick gist of the archery store. Um, I'm living in Wisconsin right now, so I'm still working for Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, but I, I do it remotely. Um, I try my best to answer every single email that we get and and uh, and do what I can from afar. Cool, and and uh, I'm Dan, I'm the younger brother. Um, I'm at the shop every day, pretty much. So I'm kind of the the guy there all the time. You know, Dad's starting to step back a little bit and go goof off more and take the grandkids fishing, which is pretty awesome. He was just out Wisconsin with Tommy last week with my sister's boy fishing and Tommy's kids. So it was pretty cool. But yeah, it's uh, still the three of us for sure. 
Gotcha. So I, I will say, um, while this is, uh, you know, the most humble family I've ever met and are, are all very accomplished, it, uh, it, it can suck sometimes for a podcast because you got to beat shit out of these guys. So I'm going to round the horn one more time. Uh, so Tom uh, Sr. Uh, has uh, worked with, um, obviously, this, the shop, the boys, also has become one of the more well-known or prolific coaches uh, for traditional archery, uh, really probably anywhere in the world, certainly, um, you know, in, in the hunting world. Um, he works with Joel Turner somewhat with Shot IQ. He also has solid archery mechanics, all of these things you can find online. Um, and also very accomplished hunter. Tommy, extremely accomplished wrestler and hunter. Uh, Tommy was, uh, I think you were 149 and one, not to bring up the past, but I think Tommy to, uh, uh, Jr. only lost one match through high school. And then Danny probably, uh, not to crap on the other two, Danny probably the better hunter out of the three. Um uh, sorry, guys, but uh, Danny, a very accomplished hunter. Um, you guys, I would have to beat them to say all of these things, but a very amazing family uh, and, and accomplished in many different things. Senior, why don't you talk a little bit about the broadheads or Danny or or Tommy, either any of the three of you, talk about some of the broadheads you guys have come out with and how those are going that kind of goes along the lines with Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear and what you offer in the shop. Yeah, Dan, why don't why don't you take that one? Because you you can talk about those the best. Yeah, sure. So, man, we uh, gosh, it's been close to ten years ago now. We uh, we were looking for we liked single bevel two blade broadheads, but we were a little bit frustrated with the quality of what was out there, and just the you know the the kind of the build style of the way the heads were made, and so we kind of set out on a mission just to get some broadheads built for ourselves originally. And so we started calling machine shops, had a couple of customers at the store that were machinists. We were talking to people, trying to find somebody to build us ahead. Uh, we finally, finally found a place that would do it and had some prototypes made up, you know, kind of modified the design, kind of tried, what we were trying to do was just build the, you know, kind of the, the most durable, best penetrating single bevel two blade that we could. And, and that's, you know, where we landed with, uh, with the, design and where it currently is with the cutthroat broadheads but uh you know it's it's kind of amazing how it's taken off and turned into a worldwide thing there's people going all over the world shooting the biggest animals on the planet with these broadheads and you know it's just it's not something that we've ever advertised you know Aaron you're about the only person that we've ever really given broadheads to or the only one that's really helped us promote these things and and it's just kind of exploded into a a big thing and a business all on its own to where it's at now so it's it's been a pretty pretty cool thing pretty neat ride to see happen um so we started with that single bevel two blade uh, a couple of years ago we added a three blade to the lineup um you know there's good three blades already out there so we we're looking for something a little bit different and really tried to address the only weakness that we had seen in, in the three blades that we had personally shot and that was just in the tip you know traditional just triangle shaped three blades get pretty thin out at the tip and so uh, we went to that convex profile. It just leaves a lot more width and mass at the tip of the broadhead. Um, Aaron, you were a big part in helping us design that head. Um, and we we drug a big wedge of steel further down off of the tip of that head. And, and so um, they're just incredibly durable. I mean, we've had almost zero warranties on those heads. It's just amazing the, the beating that they can take and, and still keep going. They're super, super easy to sharpen. Um, just an awesome head. 
And then here just, uh, I think just last week, we finally got our inch and a half whitehead out to market. And that's been a, been a four-year process. So it's a very, very difficult head to build in, in one-piece construction and have it come out perfect, you know, and up, up to our, our, you know, specs. But, uh, you know, and we, we've had those in hands of some of the best hunters that we know, Aaron. You're one of the, the biggest guys that helped us test that head and put the different all the different runs and all the different prototypes through the, you know, through the field trials and shooting animals with them and figuring out what was good and bad. So we're pretty excited to have that inch and a half wide single bevel to the market. Now it's just an awesome, awesome broadhead design. Um, still penetrates really well, puts giant holes and stuff. Um, so that's, that's one that we're super excited to finally have out now. Yeah. And with that so wide, yeah, I want to add too before that, we, that before we start design. getting <clears throat> Oh. Yeah, let, I'll go first, Tommy. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to know who's going to talk when. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there was there was some challenges when uh, building that two blade because there were some things we wanted ahead. We wanted to keep length to width ratio. We had to, you know, but we need to keep it strong. And these boys came up with design features that nobody had done before, and that allowed to, to integrate all these fantastic things and all the the most important things into that head. And I, I just got to say, there was a lot of original thought that these boys really sat down and worked out. They worked out with the people that were, you know, making the, the, the drawings for these things and working with the manufacturer to get some new concepts into a head. And uh, I'm pretty proud of that. Go ahead, Tommy. I'll let you finish now. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I would like to get into the design a little bit more. I'm sure that's one of the things that we have planned, but when we started this in 2014, you know, this, this all started because we were on a moose hunt in Ontario and uh, the three of us were hunting together. I, I took a shot at a small bull and my arrow hit that moose and then just kind of flopped down. And we all looked at each other like what in the world just happened right there. Um, and of course the moose ran off. It was barely a flesh wound. And when we found the arrow, I had a, a raised single bevel that I was shooting. And when it hit that, those welds just popped and that broadhead just kind of popped in too. And so it completely ruined the penetration on that moose. Um, I'm certain that, it, that that moose is perfectly fine. That barely bled at all. So we got back in the store and we were just kind of chatting, thinking, man, I wish somebody would make a, you know, machined single bevel head. And we had a guy named Brock McChesney working for us back then. And, and Brock just says, just kind of blurts out, well, we should do it. And we all kind of laughed. Ha ha. Yeah. That's, that's, that's funny. And it's like, wait, maybe we should do that. So when we did this, we thought it was going to be a real niche head that would appeal to a very small segment of the traditional world. Right. So we were thinking we were building a broadhead for a very small segment of people that would want this. But over time, for just us and our friends. Kind of. Yeah. Um, But like, like uh, Dan said, you know, we never, we never really advertised. We've never really tried to promote them, but, but uh, the broadhead has kind of proved itself. People have got their hands on it. They've done testing the knowledge about single bevel broadheads has increased tenfold since then. A lot of things have changed since then in the archery world. 
and so it really kind of took off on its own. Um, and that's the only thing I wanted to add from, from what Dan said, it was kind of an accident. And, you know, when it really exploded, Aaron, you had a lot to do with that, but, uh, it was growing leaps and bounds even before then. Um, so we were kind of surprised and kind of shocked <laughs> at how successful that, that broadhead turned out to be. It's, it's been fun. It's been real fun. Yeah. And I, on, you know, on my side of things, I, I, you know, I'm very blessed now. I have a 120 yard range at my house, but at the time I was testing these, it was probably frowned upon to be at Bear Creek Lake Archery. I don't live in Colorado anymore. I can't get yelled at for this. I was flinging broadheads, which there's a giant sign that says, don't do that. Um, and I'd bring my own broadhead target out. And, you know, for me, after about 60 yards, um, you might run into, you know, just wind drag on, on fixed blades. And at 80 was kind of the max where I'd say, okay, 80, it's feasible to get one to hit real close, but doesn't happen very often. And, uh, I was able to get the, the standard cutthroats to hit at 80, um, out of the bow with a fairly low profile, fairly short vein. You know, I, when I say that, um, a 2.6 inch AAE hybrid three fletch with actually offset, no helical, um, was able to get those to hit and, you know, it, it 80 yards softball to paper plate. Um, you know, it, the, the cool thing about this whole kind of journey with you guys is I, I, I'm, I'm pumping down some mass with my, my bow. And so I don't need to shoot a cut on contact single bevel as much as other people might now. And some people dig on those, but that's where that three blade came into play where there was nothing wrong with me shooting a two blade, but I can shoot a three blade and have no issues with penetration and, and actually prefer personally prefer the three blade uh, for a lot of things over the two for my setup, including with a stick bow. And you guys saw some of the damage I did with three blades on those. So then you guys had the three blade. It's a convex, not a concave or flat blade. It's easier to sharpen. And I noticed more devastating wound channels with that, that system or that style of, of broadhead with that obviously increased durability on the tip. So that was a big one. And then you guys sent some wides. I was able to kill some wides with the prototypes, but it, it with those three broadheads, it really fits the bill for, for anyone, including compound shooters. Um, I, I don't know, like what would, like you guys said, it took off. You have a lot more compound shooters than you ever anticipated how, shooting these heads from what I understand. Oh yeah, I'd almost even say that the majority of uh, the heads that we're selling now are are two compound guys. You know, that's been kind of one of the biggest surprises for us. Kind of like Tommy led into, and and uh, you know, we're setting up because we have the full service pro shop at the store too. We're not just a traditional bow shop. We we carry you know five main lines of bows there at the store, and so you know, we're setting all of these heads up for hundreds and hundreds of customers in the store every year. Um, you know, no problems getting them to tune, getting the bows to tune and, and to shoot these broadheads good. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been pretty neat to see how, uh, you know, a, a really good fixed blade broadhead has become much more of a norm, um, in the hunting world for compound shooters as well. So when yeah, I'll add to, when it comes to, to broadheads, you know, we're not just shills that tell everybody that walks in the door, you know, this is the bed bro- best broadhead or, you know, this is the best flying broadhead. Every time that, that we have a customer that's looking for a, a new setup or they're getting into it, that's always a conversation. It's like you said, Aaron. I mean, you're, you're a big guy. I'm a small guy. I'm 5'5". Five five. I don't draw 28 inches. I'm like 27 and a half inches. 
so my concerns are going to be much different than your concerns. And we've never said this is the way, this is the only way. Never said this is the best broadhead on the market. We always, and we always have the approach of, you know, what are you hunting? What is your setup? What is your drawing? We try to gather as many factors as we can and ask customers like what their criteria is. Penetration a big concern for you or are you looking to to cause more damage? So just wanted to throw in, you know, yeah, we've got a broadhead, but we're not just robots selling this broadhead saying saying that it's the best thing on the market by any means. There's there's a lot of different opinions. And you know, I mean, you know a lot of hunters. We get to meet a lot of hunters. There are a lot of opinions out there and a lot of guys that have the results to back them up. So, you know, with the cutthroats, I think they fit, they fit a certain set of criteria really, really well. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're just jamming them down everybody that walks into our doors by any means. Yeah, I would say actually to a point it's infuriated me at times because you, you, you guys are so cool and, and like I said, beginning humble. You, you know, I've pushed you guys at times maybe to push them more than, than – and I say that tells you what kind of people this the, the family is. Because um, one of the things you've seen lately, which we don't need to touch on anything specifically, is uh, what do they say, that imitation is the best form of, of, of flattery or, or, or whatever um, – you guys have been copied a lot lately that I've seen and you guys don't need to touch on that. But when you see that happening, you're doing something right. You're making a very a, a good product. And, and the thing for me, seeing it from when I shot a compound before it went to a trad bow and, you know, for, for a few years and then and come back to the compound, watching all of this happen, um, it, it, it shows me, I guess, what you're doing is correct, but also you guys are doing three different, very different broadheads with what you offer. And so I, I would say that actually your broadheads work for almost anyone until you get into that 290 to 320 feet per second range. It's a little harder to tune that, but you do cover pretty much anyone and everyone with what you offer. Now you take like you're five, five, but you know, my wife's five eleven, but she only draws 42, 43 pounds. So for her, I would be putting her into the standard three, three blade or wide, but the wide in a lot of cases for whitetails, cause I can get that to fly. And for me, whitetails, I prefer a larger cutting diameter. She goes to something more like an elk. I would probably put her in a two blade and a three blade all the way around. So you guys do, you know, offer, you know, quite a bit to cover just about everyone, but what, what's your number one seller? Yeah, our, our number one seller is still that standard uh, single bevel two blade. You know, the, the three blades have definitely, you know, exploded and taken off. And, um, you know, they're just gaining ground all the time. I think this wide is going to be a super, super popular head. Like you said, you know, uh, and like Tommy talked about, there's there's gives and takes to everything in life. There's no way around that. There's no, no nothing's free anywhere. And so, you know, as you've got attributes to one broadhead that are good. There's some aspects of it that are not as good. And so, and like Tommy said, that's always the conversation we're having with customers in the store um, is, is we just try to present the gives and takes everything, give, give people as much knowledge as possible, as much of the information as possible to help them, them make that educated decision. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a really nice rounded uh, broadhead lineup now with the addition of that wide. I mean, you've got kind of something for everything. Like you said, if you're, you're going after an elk. I mean, I kind of look at elk as the, as the, the animal that 
like sets the standard for penetration. They're a big bull elk is just a big, heavy boned, tough animal. And so, you know, even out of my compound setup, I'm not shooting a lot of weight. I still, I still lean more towards the two blades on, on an elk just because of the penetration issue. I've seen them soak arrows up. Um, but yeah, if I'm going after a white tail deer, deer, a smaller animal, I'm not worried about penetration. I'm definitely throwing a three blade or, or that, that wide on um because i know i don't have the arrow doesn't have to get very far to get through that animal so i want to you know create a bigger bigger wound channel so yeah we've got a pretty nice well-rounded lineup now so as far as the lineup goes uh we kind of brushed over quickly the the shop which i remember where you guys were at before to now uh whoever wants to take that over it's a pretty amazing shop with what you guys offer there but like tell everybody what's there what you offer from products to coaching things like that Yeah, Dad, why don't you take that one? Oh, I think uh, on the compound side, we've got pretty much every major brand except Matthews. Um, we, uh, I, I'm really proud of the crew there and how service-oriented they are and how knowledgeable they are. Guy comes in uh, looking for a compound bow. They'll set them all up, every brand, for a guy to feel the differences and, and talk that stuff over and fit, fit a bow to their needs. Um, no doubt we've got the biggest selection of traditional bows probably anywhere literally normally five or six hundred traditional bows in our shop um we kind of in the retail environment got a decent knife shop we kind of go better or different you know we sell uh kafaro packs we sell a couple different brands of high-end boots um you know hunting supplies optics um uh, you know try to you know, as a family-owned joint, you know, with all the big boxes around us, we we have to be better or different. That's what we try to target in there. Uh, Knowledge-wise, everybody in that shop is a certified archery in- instructor. We've got two level fours in there, and Jerry's level three. He's been an Olympic training spinner and s- spent his 50 hours of uh, instruction, mostly in front of the Olympic coach, and and uh, you know, 50, at that time in Chula Vista also. Um, I don't think there's one place with, that I know of with more knowledge in one place and in such a diverse knowledge. I'm super proud of the thing we put together. Um, everybody in that store is completely immersed in in archery and bow hunting lifestyle and has been since we were very young. Um, I don't know. We we are we're so blessed by the people that we've uh, met and the friendships we've made. Um, you among the top ones, but, um, it's just, a, a you know, archery and archery hunting has been part of this family's lifestyle from the get go. The boys were raised in that lifestyle and, and we, we obviously like to share that lifestyle. It's enhanced our lives greatly. And there's more important things in life for sure. Um, you know, for us, it's faith, family, way to make a living, way more important factors, but our lifestyle with the outdoors and archery is huge and it's been a huge benefit. And we like to share that with others because we know what it does for them. It gives us a pretty good feeling about that. So I don't know, uh, on the coaching side, you know, we coach a heck of a lot of compound guys, but I don't think, um, anybody has started coaching in the traditional side. Like we have, I spent, uh, basically, most of my later life at, you know, obtaining a heck of a big education, archery coaching through a level four certification at the Olympic training center. And, 
you know, if I have a legacy personally, it's probably going to be the guy that brought the elements in target shooting to bow hunter so they can shoot accurately for crying out loud. Um, and I teach that pretty much every day. And, uh, for me, it's a, it's a passion and a joy in life. My friendships and Aaron in particular, um, have been like multiplied, like you can't believe. Uh, I know people all over the place now that I feel very close to and some fantastic people too. That, and so coaching has done that for me. Um, I brought my boys into this lifestyle and this business that we all enjoy. Um, you know, I'm really proud of how they've taken that thing and, and run with it. Dan pretty much runs the shop now, reeled that out. He, he does everything. And now we've got his brother back in, in the fold, helping him, you know, take care of that thing. Tommy does inventory management with Dan and he's, does all, you know, design our whole website. Um, he's good at video editing. So a lot of the content we want to be putting on the future, Tommy will have a big hand in. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's all come together and it's something, you know, as a dad that I'm very proud of. Well, so with uh, with that, like you had brought me up a couple times there, so I'm going to throw in my story with uh, obviously knowing the family a long time, um, but the the traditional side of it, I think it was like late 2015, I had made the decision to go to a stick bow, and, and for anybody that knows, I pretty much talk shit about trad guys up until that point at a fairly high level, as much as CrossFit, if not more, and... Then I had gotten kind of <laughs> poked out of like, well, you're a shitty hunter and, um, uh, you know, you're, you'd never kill anything with a stick bow. And at that time I'd probably shot one 40 times or something. Uh, uh, Tracy Gullickson, who, who works with you guys, he had given me a bow to try out at one point in time, but I'm like, okay, so I sold every piece of compound equipment I had, which was a lot. I think I had 11 bows at that time, but I had lost the the love for archery. I just wasn't excited where at one time I would get a bow in and like lie that I was sick to go put it together at work or whatever. Right. And I just lost that. So I sold everything. And then I texted, I don't know if I texted all three of you or just senior, but I said, Hey, I'm going, uh, I'm going to go trad this year or whatever. Um, I need help. And, uh, you know, like, you know, like an alcoholic, I'm, I'm going to need help here. So, uh, senior, what, what at that point, like, obviously you, you, the whole family was really instrumental in this, but you being on the coaching side of things, what did you see with that? And what did you, what did you learn from me being a dumbass and trying to learn to shoot a bow? Like, how'd that go? Well, <laughs> Aaron kind of <clears throat> interviewed me and I guess I kind of interviewed him back. Um, it was kind of funny. He was kind of feeling me out and he's like, one thing about getting this trad thing. Well, one thing about Aaron, if you want to get his best, just tell him he can't do something. If <laughs> you, when he jumps into something is with both feet and I don't know a harder working guy anywhere and a more dedicated guy when he wants to get good at something. He is, I, I told him, I told him to watch the Michael Jordan documentary once. Uh, Cause there was a lot of similarities there. And I think you did, Aaron said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. But, uh, anyway, Aaron asked me questions like, uh, Hey Tom, if you, uh, if you can shoot, uh, like a dang paper cup at 60 yards, you, you see anything wrong with shooting an animal at that range? And I'm like, well, Aaron, you got a relaxed animal and you can 
put that heroin there. Um, you know, for most people that's unethical because they can't shoot it, but a guy that can shoot it, um, and he's got a situation where he's not expecting that animal really like, I don't see, I don't think that's unethical, which was like in the trad world, like, I don't know. Like you just slept with your sister. Yeah. That was, it didn't go well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but I I could see Aaron kind of like feeling me out and I just gave him honest answers and, and we were talking and he wanted to try this thing and like, well, come on over. And then I known Aaron did a lot of reviews. I didn't know Aaron, you know, I didn't know the prominence Aaron had. He was another guy that was an acquaintance at that time. And, uh, I don't know, Aaron for all of his podcasting and all of his humor and public and what a great speaker he is was kind of shy around me, you know, um, in this respect, he kind of stood there, you know, kind of low, super low key dude. I, I didn't know Aaron was such an introvert and, uh, kind of look at the ground and kind of glance up at me once in a while. And then, I don't know, we got to know each other. We're shooting recruit. I'm sharing this stuff about shooting them well. And, and, um, we developed a friendship. I mean, we were together three or four times a week for like nine months, uh, shooting these bows. It was, uh, I, I had to have driven friend and I, you guys crazy, by the way, at that, uh, with questions and, um, <laughs> I was in there well, all the me. time. I mean, I, I got this really intelligent, interesting guy that I'm spending all this time with. And it was awesome for me. I developed this, this new friend and, uh, it was, it was such a fun process. And then being the hard worker and he, that Aaron is, and I knew he'd be good because I was questioning him about his shooting and his knowledge. And he'd done some certified instruction and that kind of stuff and how he ran a trigger. And, you know, I just could gather really quickly, that, holy shit, this guy's a shooter. And so basically I, I told him, you know, as a concept, first of all, we're not going to change much from a compound to a recurve. We're going to bring that skill set that you've already built to this very high level over to recurve and we're going to run with it. And gosh, we did. And it, it didn't take him long to beat me, which is always my goal to, uh, teach somebody to, to shoot better than me. And, uh, I don't know. It was uh, w- one of the more enjoyable friendships I built, and uh, and then this guy, he's always really so willing to help us, and he's been one hell of a loyal friend. So um, that friendship extended to my sons now, and um, it's been you know one of the really neat pleasures and neat friendships in my life. So I don't know what else to say about it than that. Is a snapshot, buddy. Well, with that, obviously, you know, and I, when I say I was in there all the time, um, which you guys are very polite saying I wasn't bothering you. Um, but I, I do remember on multiple occasions, like walking over asking, like, I didn't know how to tie a nail knot. Um, so Danny saw that and then I went home and tied it about a hundred times in a row. I'm like, okay, I've got this. And then string silencers, like tying on cat whiskers, shit I don't do with a compound. I'm glad I learned all this. It made me a way better archer, but I'm watching Danny tie on cat whiskers and uh, I went home and I'm, I look like a, a, a fucking monkey with three thumbs and a Rubik's cube trying to tie these things on. And I'm like, and he made that look really easy and I am making this really difficult. And, you know, people don't realize that of like, it's just different. Compound shooters don't ever tie cat whiskers on. 
They don't tie nail knots. They don't really, a lot of compound guys don't really learn the art of tuning. And so what I knew from a compound, it definitely grew exponentially from what I learned, you know, from you guys. And with you guys, you know, both um, the compound and the trad side. And so one of the things, obviously people listening in, picking up a stick bow, whether you take it, you know, like to where that's your only weapon of choice or you just dabble in it it will make you a better archer and a better hunter in general. Cause the biggest thing, like I would talk with you guys about stories of potentially dropping some pretty far bombs with a, a stick bow and you guys or with a compound and you, it wasn't an impressive thing for you. And you're like, how the hell do you even get a shot like that? And I'm like, well, I set myself up to shoot like that where Danny, you were talking about when you first picked up a compound, you hated it because you were better with a stick bow. Talk, talk about that a little bit as far as the issues you had going from one to the other. Um, you know, and you, kind of the, the the idea that most compound guys don't think about is like, I'll just get closer. A lot of compound guys don't do that. But Danny, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. And and don't kid yourself, Aaron. I mean, you we've learned an incredible amount of stuff from you. <laughs> you know, whether it's tuning on a compound or just, you know, bouncing hunting stories off each other or heck, I mean, I'd, I'd ask you questions about camera stuff and, you know, you'd, well, did you, did you do this? And I'm like, do what? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. So, you know, it's been, been pretty awesome. It's one of the coolest things about the store to me is just what we learn from the people that come in there. It's just and the, the people we meet and the accomplished hunters, the accomplished archers, it's really cool. And, you know, one thing that you always said that's really stuck with me is just you talk about the art of archery. You know, I just think that's a, a really cool way to put it and just, you know, learning all the aspects of it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, kind of getting back to your question, you know, when I first went to a compound because of shoulder injuries, you know, all I had ever shot period, I'd never shot an arrow at a compound. Anything was just always a traditional bow. And so, you know, that was just ingrained in me. It was all I knew. And so when I first went to that compound, now all of a sudden there's a peep site and there's a front site housing and there's a bubble level and a trigger release. There's all this stuff going on. And, you know, I didn't grow up doing that. I didn't have a lot of experience with it. And so there were a couple of hunting situations where, you know, an elk runs in quick, you got to make a fast shot. And I'm sitting here fumbling around trying to line all this stuff up and, <clears throat> You know, then elk takes off again, and and you're you're gone, and you miss your opportunity. I'm going, son of a gun! If I had my recurve, I'd have just been at full draw, looked at that spot, you know, pulled through the shot, and I'd have shot that elk. You know, there was definitely some situations like that. Um, and I still, I still, you know, in my heart, believe that there are definite advantages, you know, in certain hunting situations, especially when you're close, where that recurve is an advantage because of the, you know, the how quick you can take a shot. You're you're very in tune with the arrow's trajectory. Like you're, the arrow's right under your eye. You're watching that arrow's flight every time. And so, you know, if there's overhead branches or, or obstacles or things you can shoot, you have to shoot around, you really know that arrow's trajectory. You have a good feel if you're going to, you know, clear stuff. You can shoot in, in peculiar positions. You can lay the bow over and shoot, you know. So there are some advantages there. And, and you know, and obviously that swings the other way with the compound, just the, the pinpoint accuracy, uh, taking farther shots, you know, the, the power that they produce, uh, you know, they're, they're incredible too. And it's been really fun to learn the compound and, and get to know that, that hunting weapon better too. So it's just, like you say, the art of archery learning, learning all aspects of it. And, and so it's been, been fun. So, uh, with like everything that we're, you know, going over, like as far as 
like pedigrees go because we kind of again these super humble family um all three of you are very accomplished you know archers um i mean with all of this danny you switched to a compound because of, of shoulder injuries you just couldn't draw the, the bow back anymore um and, and you know and adapted to that but you're still i think you're pulling i think you told me like 55 pounds or 52 or something with a compound now yeah, I'm shooting in the mid fifties. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm slowly creeping that up and I'm still slowly getting better, but I've had nine shoulder surgeries. So it's just a lot to unwind. A lot of, a lot of damage really tore myself up. So it's, you know, that it's been a long road, but I mean, I will say in the last year and I'd say probably in the last six months, I've shot more probably than I had in the seven years prior to that so you know i'm definitely getting better there's been some some awesome people that have been been huge and helped me out a ton um this you know as far as just believing in me and helping me with uh with physical therapy and rehab and and just muscular work like matt bernier and there's been some other physical therapists that you know some guys that have just been just gigantic just instrumental in helping me get my shoulders back to health and you know so i've it's been cool. I'm actually able to shoot more now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that this summer I can take my bow out to the three range and, and shoot with the guys. And, you know, if you were still around there and I'd, it would, I'd finally be able to say, Hey, let's go hit the range and, and do it. So, you know, I'm definitely getting better all the time. Yes. Hey, Danny, what's the lowest poundage that you've shot an elk with? Um, I was, yeah. In fact, it was the year that Aaron was supposed to go up there and, and uh, hunt bears with you up in Canada. I crashed my mountain bike and dislocated my shoulder out the back. And so I had to have another big shoulder surgery. But uh, that year I, I didn't even get to elk hunt the first three weeks of the season. Cause I was just still coming right up fresh off that big shoulder surgery. And so um, I shot up like a low forties, 42 or 44 pound compound that year. I can't remember what it was, but um, I shot an elk at 45 yards with that bow that year. It's in fact, it's probably the furthest animal I've taken with a bow. Um, but yeah, clean pass through on that, on that elk quartered away. So, you know, down in the low forties is the, the lowest I've, I've shot in hunting situation. Yeah. And actually you, um, you actually helped out Tommy cause he was, he was, uh, the, he, he got to fill in for you after you crashed your mountain bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, while we're, I, I do want to say one thing about Matt Bernier, um, a shout out to, to him and, and what he does. He's, he's a very amazing and, and interesting individual, but he drove up to my house in Wyoming cause I, I couldn't walk. I was having some serious foot issues more than I was probably letting on. I had a couple stress fractures and I had to walk funny that caused other issues. And, and I had seen some different physical therapists, things like that. He walked around, he, he basically messed with my leg and foot for about an hour in my, uh, you know, in, in my living room and told me what he had thought it might be, but it would be better if he could poke around more, if I could come down, I just didn't have time. And what he said is, I mean, I'm not fully recovered at this point, but like I, I was getting to the point I could hardly walk. And, you know, in the first six months after him being in my, at my house for an hour, hour and a half, um, you know, and doing what he told me to do has been pretty miraculous. So I, I can't thank that guy enough that now that you brought him up, pretty amazing dude. Yeah, for that sure. Matt, a Matt's a literal, great human. He, he's a movement expert. He has taught me concepts about movement and that I have taken to my coaching that is cut the learning curve down for the people I'm teaching 
by five times. Uh, he'll give me concepts, and then I can build drills off of his concepts to create movement, to build brain neural muscle connections that don't look like an archery lesson, but then when we go to the movements within an archery shot, bam, they get it right away. Yeah, this this guy's been a pretty good friend of the clums. Yeah, no, he's smart guy. He's great. And I mean, you know, my as you guys can imagine, I'm like, look, dude, I haven't stretched since Christ was a kid. I got a wipe from the front. I'm not good, right? <laughs> I'm like, I not flexible. And so he's, you know, doing range of motion, you know, things and he's like, hey, it's actually not you you know, this, it's this. And it was actually issues coming down the right side of my, my right leg of my shin bone, that muscle and things wrapping around my foot that I'd never would have guessed was the problem. And, you know, I'm thinking I've, you know, it's something completely different than what it was and wasn't focusing on what the issue was. And yeah, just a great dude. Um, and, uh, I, I think he's actually going to end up moving to Wyoming at some point. Um, you know what what he does is pretty amazing so if if you listen to this matt i i appreciate it but uh but, but back on track here um when when we're going over like low poundage and and you know the compound or the stick bow like all of you um you know being brought up shooting a stick and how you knew me before of hearing some hundred plus yard shot with a compound and and maybe not maybe definitely taking advantage of my my equipment far more than I, I should have been. The the one thing that's been weird changing back to the compound for me is, uh, you know, you know, this, this last year, I, I think I shot 15 or 18 animals sub 20 and half of those sub 10 was my compound that I can tell you would have never happened before picking up a stick bow. Um, and, 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 and there is a definite advantage with a stick bow, in my opinion, sub 20 for sure. Um, and, and it's certainly in certain circumstances, agreeing with Danny, uh, a quicker shot um, is, is a big one. And then just that flight of the arrow being more in tune with it. Um, but talk about that each, like, like going down the line, starting with Tommy, you know, you being, um, uh, you know, a, a never really picking up a compound too much, the, with all of the people that come into the range and all the stories you hear, the one thing Danny just said to me once, that he was like, you know, why don't you just get closer? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. Uh, and then I picked up a stick bow. I'm like, oh, 40 yards is a par four for me at this point. Like, Jesus Christ, I am going to have to get closer where compound guys just don't think about that as much. But Tommy, starting with you, like some of the different perspectives of, of, compound shooters, stick bow shooters, and kind of the, the, the methodology of, of, of hunting and just becoming in tune with that? Well, I might be the worst guy to answer that because I have shot a compound bow maybe five or six times in my life. And it's always been, you know, like my brother hands me a bow and it, it anchors behind my ear. You know, I've just never shot wheels ever in my life. Um, and you mentioned taking animals at a hundred yards. I, I don't know. We've had a lot of customers that have had that were traditional guys that got shoulder surgeries or situations like Dan injuries, pushed them into compounds and they were kind of like ashamed to come around the store, you know, or show me a picture. And they're like, yeah, but I got it with my compound. That has never, never been an issue for me or I don't think for any of us. Um, yeah, have fun in the woods. I mean, I don't, whether you kill an animal with a, with a traditional bow or a compound, that's, that's no skin off my back, but 
I understand why people are like that because, uh, you know, we're all proud of what we do and, and can form some factions and look down our noses, but I hope I've never given off that to you. Um, if I have, it was definitely not on purpose, but as far as perspectives go, I've only ever shot a traditional bow. And so getting close is, is, uh, I mean, it's just kind of goes without even saying it had you not told me that you had never thought of that shooting a compound, it would have never occurred to me that bow hunters didn't want to get close. Well, I, you know, I, I think that's um, why you're a good person a of, to ask this question <laughs> to first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've taken a lot of uh, razzing, good-natured razzing from my from my compound buddies. You know, because I've watched some elk and some deer walk walk by at 50, 40, 50 yards that I would have killed if I had a, a compound if I could shoot it well. But that's never been an issue. I mean, that's just, I've never looked at those animals as the one that got away, or I've never seen it as some sort of um, disability. Is probably not the right word but I've never seen it. I've just never looked at it that way. Um, it's just always been, just always been the way it is, you know? So as far as the different perspectives, what, what exactly are you curious about? Well, you, you touched on it right there. You know, I knew you'd shot a compound a little, but not much is the, and you know, this is just for people to listen into with all the Q and A's I do knowing you guys and kind of my transformation around yeah. back and forth is just that, okay, if you and I were hunting together, you know, I see an animal at 80 and I'm knocking an arrow. You are like, what? The f uh, yeah, hold on, dude. It's going to take me an hour and a half to get up there. Right. That mindset of yeah. you just aren't, that is not an option. And that's kind of why I brought up with me coming back to a compound and shooting multiple animals now sub 20 and sub 10 whether that happened or not before with a compound was happenstance i wasn't trying now i'm i'm trying so with 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 you and and not really picking up a compound but having guys with compounds coming in that whole mindset of trying to get that into their mind of just get closer just learn animal behavior learn to be quiet learn to be a ninja um is is as important in some ways and far more important than others than shooting ability. You want to be able to hit what you're aiming at to a certain degree. You have always had to get closer. You've never had the option of shooting farther away ever. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I, I suppose it probably would be a big issue in the mountains, especially if you're above timberline, but there are definitely times in the whitetail woods where the perfect tree is just out of my range. You know, and yeah. so we've, we've found ways to, to get around that lay some logs down or try to, try to change the terrain to get the animal to walk where you want it, you know, with like tree stands and whitetails and, and things like that. But yeah, as far as, you know, elk, your hunt ends where mine just begins a lot of times. And that's, like I said, I've never thought of that as, oh, that one got away because of my limitation here. No, I chose to self, to, to put some self, limits on in order to you know make it more challenging i don't even know if i thought about it that far you know but i i know that got some self-limitations and that's just part of part of the enjoyment i guess part of the allure 
And I don't want to say it's something that I've always been proud of because I've never thought about it that deeply. But I do like spiritual honesty. I, I like that you have to get a little bit closer. Um, and I'm not saying that the animals that are killed with the recurve are more meaningful than ones killed with the compound. But um, I don't. I mean, we, we, we push ourselves, we challenge ourselves in everything that we do. And I guess traditional archery is can have some of those same elements. I don't know. Well, and I, I would I would say what that. What were your thoughts? Did you did did the the animals you killed with the recurve? Did you think that those were different than the ones that you killed with the compound? F- fuck yes, a million times different. And I mean, this is something I'll argue to the to the end of like we were talking about this last night with some guys that were out here from from Born Primitive from Virginia Beach about the compound, you know, cause I was, I was in the, the range shooting my, my range shooting at, I don't know what, whatever, like 90 to 110 yards or what a long ways away, right at 3d targets. And I was, I was talking about the, the physical exertion and the mental, I don't know what you want to call it strength, the, the discipline of, you know, going on a 12 day high country mule deer hunt, not getting one and having to go back in, uh, with the stick bow where that would not with, with me, that would not have happened with a compound. That animal is worth, worth more to me. And when I say worth more, not worth more, but it means more to me because I mean, flat out one, just the, yeah, you, you don't get to be the size of, uh, I don't know, pick somebody, Ronnie Coleman or whoever, Phil Heath bodybuilder or, um, uh, one of the, one of the greater wrestlers, uh, you know, out there right now, whoever, whoever you want to pick, if they just snapped their fingers and got handed to them to that, they would not winning to them would not be the same as, as it is for all the hard work they put in to get there. I did not have to put in as much hard work with a compound. Yes. I had to learn to shoot and everything else, but I mean, let's face it, fellas, if all four of us are standing online and a deer pops up at 80, you guys are fucked. I'm going to kill it. Right. I'm going to shoot it. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. a high probability of hitting it. Will I remember that as much if uh, it spent three hours to close that next distance or to close that distance to get to get to get even closer? So even with the compound getting closer, those animals mean more to me than the ones that were farther away. So 100 percent, I would argue with anyone, I guarantee a dude that's hunted with a compound and shot a 350 inch bull, his first cow elk will mean more than that bull, in my opinion, uh, because it's just not easy. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I, I it would be hard for me to imagine going from a traditional bow to a compound. I, that, that allure is not there for me. The allure is the challenge for me. You know, Dan had to do it when he had all those shoulder issues. And I remember when we were talking about it, that was hard on him. You know, he did not want to shoot a compound. But what is the other option? Not being in the woods? You know, that's not much of an option. But yeah, I, I know that this a lot of guys get real snobby about this kind of stuff. I am not snobby at all. Um, it means a lot to me. It's definitely valuable to me. I want to do it to hunt with a, a traditional bow, but it's it's never been a, a look down your nose type of thing by in any in any way at all. Yeah, I've never taken bad when guys come in the store and kind of act sheepishly because they killed something with a compound. I, I just don't. I just don't think that way. I don't think any of us do or ever have. 
I've never taken that from you guys ever at all. I think it's more of me somewhat eating crow, somewhat realizing of like, yeah, I wasn't nearly as good of a hunter as I thought I was because this shit sucks. And when I say sucks, a good suck, right? It's a good pain. Like not everybody wants to go work out at the gym, but they like the way they feel after they get out of the gym or obviously you guys being wrestlers, a hard wrestling practice, like, you know, when I would accomplish, whether that be a, a doe or a, a mule deer buck or whatever, when I would get done with that, I mean, you can even tell in the expression of my face or how I re- react or who I'm calling where I shot the, a, a, a very a few really good animals this year. And I had fun. I really liked it. And honestly, it took less of a toll up physically on my my body, but it, it's still not quite the same as with, and, and they were close and it's still not quite the same as with a, a stick. So that's why I thought you were a great person to be the first to ask is you've never really had the option of getting a, a far shot or, or excuse me, taking a, a far shot. And you've dealt obviously. Yeah, with and I wouldn't, it's not even appealing. Yeah. I, I will say it is somewhat appealing to me at times to be able to, you know, different mindset. There's nothing wrong with either one, but for some, and I knew your mentality or, or methodology or thought process on this, you could give a shit about hitting an animal at 80 yards. It's not, you don't care. From from what I've talked to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the kill isn't isn't the meaningful part to me. You know, it's kind of a cliche thing to say. Yeah. But yeah. I'll, I'll let one of the other guys talk about this. I've got a question for you around this topic too, but I want to give the other guys a chance to say something if, if they had any thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I would say you know. So I've been kind of like you were on <clears throat> shot both both styles, and so. I don't know. I wouldn't really say that uh, any of my animals were were less meaningful with the compound, um, and it kind of just goes back to uh, like kind of kind of what Tommy said. It's it's more about the experience, more about the hunt, and then yeah, I mean I haven't been able to shoot enough to really master the the long range stuff, and so most everything is still kind of been within that, you know, except for a couple animals. Most of the stuff I've taken has still been within that you know, range where I still feel like I could have got that animal with a, with a traditional bow. And so, you know, it's been kind of a, a cool thing for me, but you know, I don't think anybody should ever, ever make any apologies for, for an animal that they take or the, you know, because of the weapon of choice that they're using, you know, be proud of it. We're, we're all still bow hunting and there's absolutely no reason to be ashamed of anything. Um, you know, but for you, if they meant more with a trad bow, that's, that's cool, you know, but, uh, no. And, and, and honestly, I think, the vast, vast majority of, of guys that are shooting animals, um, they're shooting them within, within 40 yards anyways. So, you know, the long range stuff, um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice to get good at those kinds of distances. I mean, you talk about taking shots at, at 80 or a hundred. I mean, you're kind of an exception in that regard because the average bow hunter is not putting the, the time, the dedication in to, to be able to shoot those distances accurately. And there's you know, a lot of factors that come into play when you start shooting that far. And so, you know, I think a lot of guys there, you know, if you, if you look, I don't know what you, what you think on this, but the, I think your, your average shots are still under 40. And I, I'd even almost say closer to the 30 yard distance for, for most bow hunters. Anyways, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Aaron. Yeah. I, I think it's just a matter of, of, you know, I, percentage wise, I would agree with you. And there, but there's a lot of guys that will reach out and, and touch things as well. And really like distance mm-hmm. aside, even let's say it's sub 50, 
hitting something with a, a, a traditional bow takes more work. And that's kind of the takeaway of, you know, when I say they mean more, they all mean something, but I, I probably from the effort I had to put in on, on my end and come, you know, coming from the compound and eating some crow, realizing, okay, you know what? I, 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 I was using technology and far more than I realized and, and, and maybe it's that, right. Just that, okay, now I, I've, I've earned it or I feel confident in, 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 in different abilities that I've had to gain from shooting a stick, uh, to get closer. Cause there's a real whirlwind thing for me. Like there was a few times that I'm like, man, maybe, maybe I, maybe I fucked up, right? Like this, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. And so when I finally was able to, to put some animals on the ground, it was more rewarding for me, I guess, than, you know, that it's easier for me with a, with a compound. It's just, it is. And, 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 you know, I put a lot of effort into shooting one, but I, I would say for most people coming from a compound to a stick that I've talked to that actually, you know, put an animal on the ground with a stick, they say the same, you know, thing for the most part. And maybe that's because you kind of went the other way. Um, you know, who knows, or just different mindsets, you know, where you went from a stick to a compound. And I'd actually be curious to get seniors take on this because you talk to a ton of people too. Yeah. I come from the crusty generation. You know, I'm an older guy now, man. And my generation, man, back in the day, were just crusty about it. You know, they, you know, it's not a real bow. You know, <laughs> I, uh, may have my younger, maybe in my thirties, picked up a little of that. Uh, today, um, gosh, when, especially the older guys go to a compound and they act sheepish around shooting them. I'm like, Oh, I don't want that to be diminished for you in any way, man. Um, <laughs> I want the excitement of getting something with a, any bow, um, is unbelievable. Uh, man, I had a few thoughts when you guys were talking, you know, I knew you were an elite level outdoorsman. I knew you were an elite level shooter. I didn't know you were a really good hunter because you were shooting everything so dang far away, but you turned out to be an elite level hunter. I mean, you, you killed stuff from snuck up on mule deer to seven feet and stuff. You turned out to be one hell of a hunter, but, uh, it, so you kind of a whole package now, but, uh, I don't know. I, I shoot a compound, uh, enough to make sure I can shoot a nine or 10 ring every time in case I'm teaching somebody, um, I got to have credibility. I think if you don't shoot well, your, your credibility is diminished as a coach. So they've, they've always got a compound set up for me and I'm not going to lie. I kind of get an itch once in a while to kill something with it. Um, but another thing I was thinking of flashed through my mind is, um, you know, you were talking about the shots like at 40 say, I was like, I don't really get opportunities at 40, but cause my head's still down. I'm not even looking for a shot at 40. Um, it's just like, like you go at it differently. I think you probably, you're killing stuff closer to your compound now because after hunting trad for a while, you, you just go at things a little different. Your tactics maybe are a little different. Um, there's another thought I had with, with that and I'm, it's slipping my mind now, but, well, um, let me tell yeah, I, I, I'm not crusty at all. I want that thrill for, for the guys that came from a recurve to a compound um i uh, uh, literally how you shoot a bow is a bow oh, the crusty guys that drives them crazy but as far as shooting technique and form a bow is a bow i mean 
recurves and compounds are so highly similar in the mental and physical management of a shot. Um, it's nuts, but well, I'll, I'll um, touch on I'm, I'm a, with the boys. a couple things for all of you to kind of think about and, and maybe it'll, it'll ring your memory a little bit. Um, I just did that, uh, glassing, stocking, shooting class up at my house. And one of the things that I realized really fast when I started teaching these of, of where I was and why to where I am now on the stocking portion of things. So we work on stocking, right? I, I watch their footwork, uh, their approach, why they're approaching, how they're approaching, what noise they're making. And knowing like with, with, you know, that, like you said, the different tactics, things you have to do different, getting closer. A lot of that's also footwork and clothing and gear, meaning gear that makes noise or clicking your release or, you know, things that now is like literally fingernails scratching on a chalkboard. Like I hear guys boots squeak and I'm like, Oh, you're going to fucking regret that, buddy. You will not get this close. So we're like, we're close on these targets. <laughs> do you remember the comp? Aaron, do you, I have to interrupt. Do you remember the conversations that we had about pack noise? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Probably back in 2014, 2015. I remember asking you guys, what are you walking backwards? You know, thinking it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Cause we were like, yeah, we, these packs are great, but they're kind of loud. And you were like, what are you talking about? Oh, a hundred percent. And mm, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Cause these, like I'm telling these guys, like, look, when you get a mule deer bedded this close, I am almost naked. And a lot of times I drop my chest rig, my chest harness, like rangefinders out the window. I might put it in my cargo pocket, but like I would have them, like what you're talking about with the pack, I would have them walk 15 yards stalking. And I'm like, okay, now listen to me do it. And as I'm saying this, I'm trying not to come out douchey or arrogant or whatever. I'm just saying, this is what I learned from shooting a stick. I am at a multiplier of 800% quieter than you guys. But believe me, rewind to 2014, I was right where they were. Things that I just didn't notice. Like, again, I have Velcro on everything. I spray paint everything. I get the sheen off of everything. I wash my my pants and dry them with boots uh, or, or shoes and to, to soften them up, to quiet them up. I roll up my pants. I go to my underwear. I have, you know, I don't stock in boots anymore when I can go to socks, imperceptible movements, footwork, all of the things where I, not, where before I'd be like, I'm just going to hang back at 70 when it walks around that corner, I'll kill it. That's a compound, right? That's, that was me with a compound. And I was bringing that up in like different scenarios. Like if you can't shoot, you better, better freaking learn to stock, right? You have to learn. Look at South Cox. South is not a great shot, but he is sneaky. He's got to be sneaky. So things he does, <laughs> like when when he's in his underwear, I promise you that it, other than me, because my legs are so white, they'll scare, scare the deer off. But when there is nothing quieter that you can come up with than walking through with your skin, it's quiet, right? And I mean, when, there's some pants that are really quiet, but I mean, He's going to his undies, not for glamour and Instagram. He is going in his undies because it's quieter going through those willows. And until you pick up a stick bow, you do not appreciate the sound of silence. Because when you brush your feather against your pant leg and it's like somebody just yelled down the canyon, hey, dear, there's a dumb dude up here. I mean, literally, I, I, I hear that now when people stalk and I'm just like, OK, you got your phone out three times and I heard your release click on it to confirm where you're at. I'm literally like wanting to slap him in the back of the head. Like I've done that and it fucking blew the deer out. Stop. Like it, it's a different mindset. 
yeah, we had to be sneaky if we wanted to kill something. <laughs> Especially in the old days when we couldn't shoot. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's kind of what I was bringing all this up for is really like, you know, you, you become, there's nothing wrong with shooting stuff with a compound. There's nothing wrong with a stick bow, but I can promise you, I mean, going from one to the other, you will become a better hunter and a better archer and learn and become a better woodsman in some ways. Cause believe me, if you're going on a backpack hunt with a stick bow for, for mule deer or elk or whatever, you're, you may have to become a better woodsman because it might lengthen the hunt and you might have to become really resourceful on your, your food or your gear or, or whatever. And then obviously too, just moving through the woods, like imperceptible movements where again, before I didn't take five minutes to go five feet. I would just back up 20 yards and wait for it to come out of its bed or, or whatever, you know, where now what, what might take me to go five to 10 feet might be five, 10, 15 minutes. And all of you guys are really sneaky as far as that goes. And that's, you know, my opinion anyway, obviously from shooting a stick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of, kind of interesting to hear you lay it out like that. Cause yeah, it's just, I guess stuff that we just took for granted or just, it was just our reality. We, what, what we had to do because of what we were shooting, you know? So yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. And I mean, I, a, a prime scenario is one of the shots, uh, situations I set up. I set a deer up bedded, uh, in a position to where you could shoot it at 78 bedded. You could shoot it at 33, and have to do a very technical stock and a steep cornering away shot because it was bedded or come in basically five yards above it and shoot straight down. What would you guys say I would have done in 2014? <laughs> yeah, you're laying up. You, yeah. just, you just killed it. No stock. I promise you there would have been no stock, but you have to be able to shoot. You have to be able to tune. You have to know, you know what I mean? No animal anatomy if it's bedded, right? You have to know where to hit it. Okay, now 2014, I'm not taking the 30-some yard shot because it's going to run away before I get there because I wasn't good enough at technical stocking. Certainly not going to shoot one at seven or eight feet because I'm too fucking loud because I didn't appreciate silence. And that's what I'm trying to convey here is you guys had the, I say advantage, you started that way. So that's when I was, you know, bringing this all back into, you know, full circle is like, okay, now whether I have a compound or stick because of the stick, I have no doubt I can take any three of those shots within reason, right? I'm still going to blow shit out or screw things up. I wouldn't have had that without a stick bow is kind of the whole thing. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, shooting. You, you take a recurve lesson. It's not going to screw your compound shooting up. Guaranteed to make your compound shooting better. Hundred percent. Yeah, the okay. shooting is the same thing. Yeah. 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 But shooting at eighty yards or more or especially more, that's a hell of a skill set all on its own. It takes a lot of work. It yeah, takes well, a lot of work and knowledge to be able to shoot at those longer distances. Well I and I guess if you can do it, you kinda gotta put it to use in the field like a guy goes through all the, the education to shoot a thousand yards with a rifle. He's pretty much gotta go shoot someone at a thousand yards after that. Well, I, I think the biggest takeaway from, you know, before we bump onto the next portion, because I don't want to keep you guys too long, is you should put as much or more discipline into, I mean, and I, again, now compared to a few years ago, now that I teach these classes and I feel confident that I'm at a position to where I'm not selling snake oil, that from from guiding and hunting, shooting the stick bow, things like that, that when I watch these guys 
do these stocks and things like that, they do not take into consideration an, a four, five, six-year-old animal specifically, especially whitetail and mule deer. Elk's a little different. You can call them in, but you still have to be crafty. That animal has spent its entire life staying alive from little ninjas like us. It's bedded in a spot. He's safe. He's got uh, different avenues. He can see, He can, you know, he's got his ears. He's got his nose. He's got everything. And here you are rolling in in sneak, 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 like squeaky boots, loud pants, shiny bow, shit clicking around. And you aren't going to do it unless it's luck. And and, and I learned that real quick with a stick bow because I'm like, I, I, I fucking suck. As a, this is horrible. Everyone was right. Like, this is true. Like, totally. You know, I'm like, okay, I, I've got to reassess my stocking skills because I suck at this. And and that's kind of the whole, you know, premise of this where you guys came from the other direction. You, when I say that, meaning you, you've always been great hunters and stalkers and, and, and woodsmen. So. Well, I tell you, just to become a good hunter, you got to inventory through a hell of a lot of mistakes. You got to screw up a whole bunch and learn those lessons kind of the hard way. It, you can't, you can't get an education off the internet. I didn't have the internet back when I was starting, but I did have a lot of elk and they educated me up pretty quick, honestly. So, but that's everybody's journey, which is part of the fun, man. Yeah. Uh, well, it's definitely been, hum- you go on. Uh, no, no, it's been humbling for me, but I mean, with, with the three of you on here, obviously I would say, Danny, you're probably the most accomplished hunter out of the three. Um, I would say, yes, senior you're probably in coaching side or whatever the the most accomplished uh you know as far as that go and then tommy's definitely the fucking meanest do not mess with tommy he will whoop your ass quick um you know and a very long gone (laughs) i'm sure i will i will say one of the the things that i i respected the most with tommy above and beyond the skill set of hunting and everything else is you don't take too much shit from anyone um and and you are not an opposing figure looking at you, but I, I do want to touch on this. And I know you're not very, you're not the best at boasting, but you were a bad motherfucker when you were in high school and in college wrestling. Talk a little bit about that. This is a way squirrel we're, we're shifting here, but talk a little bit about your background. Cause some people listening in won't know about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it is kind of funny um, where me and Dan kind of, diverged because obviously we're brothers we grew up doing the same things but when it came time to go to college um you know we were both wrestlers and i wanted to wrestle in the big 10 because that's where the best wrestling was and dan wanted the elk hunt so he went to wyoming (laughs) (laughs) you know and so those differences in our i don't know if it's personality or if it's just interest they they kind of have played out right i've dedicated a lot of my life to the sport of wrestling as a competitor when I was young, obviously, and as a coach, um, I am stepping back now. I've got, I've got four kids and two daughters and I don't want my girls to, to be left, you know, dads out wrestling with the boys. So I've really stepped back. I've really become more of a, a, a family, family man lately here. But, um, there were a lot of times where I'm going to rest practice and Dan's going fishing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or we go to college, Dan, Dan made his best buddy. They bugled each other in in the, in the dorms. You know, that's just always, that's always been a, a bit of a difference between us. Well, and, and, and I've uh, always been a lot more passionate about wrestling. And obviously I'm passionate about, about hunting and fishing as well. 
you know, but wrestling definitely took preeminence in my life for, for most of my life. But in, in high school, you only lost one match and you did, uh, well in college. And also didn't you wrestle in the Pan Am games as well? Uh, so there's, there's a difference between the Pan Am championships and the Pan Am games, the Pan Am games are every four years, like the Olympics and the U S will send its best team to the Pan Am games. Um, I got to wrestle in the Pan Am championships twice. So it's like world championships and Olympics, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of the same difference. So on those off years where the U S wasn't sending their number one guy, um, I got selected to go and wrestle at the Pan Ams and that was fun. I mean, I got, I got beat by the Cuban both times I did it. And both of those guys were world champions. One was when I wrestled them and the other became one later. So it was cool. I mean, I got to represent the U S I got to wrestle some, uh, legitimate world champions. I got takedowns on both of them. <laughs> they don't beat me, but I scored on them. <laughs> so, that was kind of one of the was one of the highlights. That was, those were good times, but it feels like a different life. I mean, that was that was over twenty years ago. But and and that's kind of what I was bringing up is is obviously not downplaying your your hunting ability. But Dan kind of was like, I like wrestling, but I'm going to hunt more. And you kind of stayed into the the wrestling world for a while. And yeah, now more of a family. It, it was definitely the other way around. And I don't for a long time because Dan's my younger brother. So for a long time, it was just, well, he was in the right spot, you know? And then there, there came a point where it was just undeniable. My little brother's better at something than me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, like I said, none of you would say shit if your mouth was full of it, but I mean, all of you obviously are very accomplished at, at, um, you know, hunting and then obviously, um, you know, wrestling as far as you and Danny, but would, would Danny or Tom, would, would, do you, would, would you guys change anything? I mean, Tommy, uh, would you, one of, are you happy you stayed more focused on wrestling and Danny, would you, do you ever wish like I, I should have paid a little bit more attention to wrestling and, and maybe hunted and fished or whatever, a little less. You go first, Dan. I've got an answer, but I want to hear yours first. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I have any regrets and, you know, I, I still feel, uh, I mean, I worked incredibly hard at wrestling too, but it was like Tommy said, it was just kind of different. I mean, I, I initially went to Wyoming. I did my first couple of years there. And then my last couple, I did transfer to Wisconsin and, you know, tried to finish out my career up there, you know, but yeah, we're, it, it's funny, you know, at Wyoming, there's a lot of hunting opportunities really close by. I absolutely loved it up there. I loved the program. And it was a cool place to be able to wrestle, you know, a division one college career and still get to do a lot of hunting. But yeah, I mean, my mindset was like, okay, we got practice at three o'clock, you know, I can go shoot some ducks in the morning and still get back in time uh, for practice, you know, but uh, at the end of my career, that last couple of years, when I did uh, move to Wisconsin and transfer to Wisconsin, that was definitely kind of my, my buckling down in the sport and and really trying to uh, accomplish the goals that I had. Unfortunately, I just didn't have a durable body. I had some some more injuries when I got there. <clears throat> um, but no, I don't. I absolutely don't have any regrets as far as like the path I took, the friends that I made along the way, the experiences, everything. You know. Um, but yeah, Tommy, and, and as much as anything, Tommy's uh, accomplishments in the sport are. He just has an absolutely brilliant mind for the sport of wrestling. I mean, it's a physical sport, but it's as much of a mental chess match as anything. And his ability to think, 
you know, two, three, four, five, six steps ahead as far as like setting up a move or, or wanting to score in a certain way. His ability to think about stuff in that regard, um, to practice that way in the wrestling room, you know, some of the maturity that he had with the way he thought about the sport and and the way he could break down technique is where, where he was truly special. And when we got done with college and started wrestling club and, and you know, got to coach together, watching the way that he coached and, and uh, the way he thought and just getting to see the way he thought about the sport and the technical side of it was really, really cool for me. And, and I mean, I, I would say I learned as much about wrestling after I was done competing and when we were coaching as, as I had my entire life leading up to that point. So no, it, it was all great and, and all a ton of fun. Yeah. So I wouldn't change anything either. Obviously my, my hunting buddies are always surprised to hear how big wrestling is in my life because hunting is so big in my life and my, and, and the other way around too, right? All my wrestling buddies are surprised to hear that, that I'm such a passionate bow hunter because we dedicate so much time to both of those things. But no, definitely, definitely wouldn't change anything. Um, my hunting days are fairly limited. I was born with club feet. It's a birth defect. I mean, my feet were curled up and backwards. And so my days of hiking the mountains are just about over, if they're not over. Um, I do kind of wish I would have I known when I was in my 20s and, and early 30s when we really started to to figure out, you know, how to get after the elk and find them in new places. I do wish I'd have, I'd have had another five years before uh, or, or started five years earlier, I guess I should say, um, just to get some of those opportunities back when I was still able to walk the mountains. But I, I don't necessarily regret the way that it worked out. Who who can't look back and say, oh, man, I wish I had done that a little bit different. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I mean, as far as now, like I think you said you had because, Danny, you had multiple surgeries. You had your ankles fused, didn't you, like a few years ago? So, yeah, it wasn't a total fusion. Um, they were going to fuse the, jeez, oh, subtalar joint. Um, when I was young, my dad would probably know this better than me. I think I had surgeries the day I was born. But it was very, very early on, and, and then several throughout my childhood. I can remember being in casts, um, and I can remember riding on my one. Uh, they casted you every every week. Had me set a cast on as their as their yeah, feet. They were kind of pointed at each other, each other, like super pigeon toed. Um, and then you had a surgery at about three and a half years of age, which they severed the bones, kind of straightened everything out. Um, and then you had one yeah. as an adult. Yeah. One of my earliest memories is we were, my dad took me elk hunting. I had walking casts. So from the knee down, my feet were totally cast up. When we came to a bog, I can't get these casts wet. And the elk are bugling on the other side. And so I remember very well riding on my dad's shoulders, you know, like clinging on to his head, chasing bugles, <laughs> thinking that was just the coolest thing in the world. And he sat me down on a dry spot and tried to creep forward. Uh, that's a good but story. Yeah, the surgeries you're talking about, Aaron, in like 2015, 16, somewhere around there, it was a, a total reconstruction. They realigned everything, kind of built an arch where I didn't have one, thinking that that might get me another 10, 15 years before I do eventually probably going to have to get them 
fused completely. Probably keep some uh, some forward backwards motion, but probably gonna there's, lose all my side to side. There's ankle replacements. The technology is getting pretty good. Harold, Harold Fair, yeah, hope so. One. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Obviously, still, you know, for 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 both you and and Danny shows the, you know, the drive because I, I I mean I've you know as I'm getting more achy um and pains in my own body and trying to reinvent the wheel and be a little bit smarter uh to get you know more you know years out of things I'm I'm also looking at one hopefully technology can give me new knees in the next ten years or or whatever but staying after it is the you know, figuring it out. Like obviously, you know, Tommy, you figured out to be able to get out there with, with, you know, jacked up ankles and Danny, you, you know, shot as low as 42 pounds and had to go to a compound is, you know, remaining or, or maintaining that drive, um, obviously for the love of the outdoors and, and archery, you know, says a lot about, you know, you, you, you guys as a, you know, as a group or your mentality or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Part of life. I think every older person has to deal with something at some point. If you live long enough, if you're lucky enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it is a true, you know, just a true, also just a true passion for uh, kind of this lifestyle in, in, in these, these activities. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, like we go hunting. I don't necessarily as much think of it as hard work because I just, I love and thrive on every bit of being out there and every part of the experience. And so, yeah, it, it truly it is a true love for for the sport and for what we're doing. Yeah, I, I would uh, because uh, senior, how how old are you now? I, I just turned sixty nine. That's a good I've number. Been, you know, told act my age my whole life, and I'm going to do it this year. <laughs> you what now? Your whole life? I've I've been told to act my age. It's just, oh. it was a cheap joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I I'm thought that's what you now. said. Oh. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Well, I, I, uh, I, I think probably all of us looking back, like, you know, I, you know, now me, you know, me working towards 50 real quick, you know, I'm starting to feel more pain. So, you know, seeing, trying to see guys like Matt and, and looking back, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, packed those life-size animals out like an idiot, or maybe I should have taken two trips, but I, you know, look back, like, I don't really want to change anything, you know, either, but I've been fairly lucky not to have two many major crises where now I'm looking at like, okay, if I can make it 10 more years in the back country, uh, doing hard hunts, that would be, you know, awesome or whatever. And, and obviously, you know, if it's less than that, it's less more, more, but like you guys, I just like being back there. Like I like backpacking. I like fishing. I like, I just like, you know, going and, and I like photography as well. I mean, I just like being in there and I know you're, you know, the entire family is the same. Yeah, as you know, as getting older, I had sort of have this mindset when I was more your age. It's like I had a goal. I wanted to hunt elk well into my late seventies, and it's still it's still my goal. I want another ten years where I can actually properly hunt elk. It gets harder every year because joints hurt more. You know what I mean? But this lifestyle has kept me more fit than most guys my age. Um, Mostly the ones that are more fit are retired and get to go to the gym every day. But, um, yeah, it's as far as health wise, um, this lifestyle is magnificent for overall health, longevity for sure. No, it's, it's good. Um, well, fellas, we've been on an almost an hour and a half here. And, uh, is there anything I want to, you guys aren't great at promoting yourselves at times. So I want to make sure we get out there. Like, um, obviously the shop, 
Um, I don't know how much we can help if you're still coaching wrestling, Tommy, but obviously the shop, uh, the coaching, the broadheads, things like that. Where can they find uh, you guys online, uh, you know, social media, uh, you know, the courses to sign up for those kind of go through that whole thing. Yeah, I'll go on that. Our, our website, uh, the name of our, our retail store is Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. And so the website is rmsgear.com. RMSG was taken. Um, so it's been RMS Gear just for the for the website URL. That's kind of why we branded it that way. But um, that's the, the website for the archery store, the, the cutthroat broadheads you can't miss. We've got a big banner on there. Broadheads is the first link in our navigation menu because that's the, the biggest driver to people in our store. And one of the things we've tried to over, well, we have not overcome very well is that our business is mainly a retail store, right? We are not a distribution center, like an online distribution center. And so our website has always been a very poor reflection of what we do because we're retail oriented. We're not online oriented. And so you know, if, if there's not, if what you're looking for is not on our website, we probably have it. It's just not listed. We've gotten good and kind of built our business and learned how to, to deal with people in person. And that's what we really were good at. That's what we want to do. Um, over the course of time, I really want to try and, and build out our website. Never going to be the kind of you know, like Lancaster, where you have every option of everything, um, where we really excel is working with individuals. So guys that have specific questions on the arrow build or tuning, um, pick up the phone, give us a call, shoot us an email. I answer every single email that we get. Um, we're, so we're definitely more service oriented in that way. Um, and it's, it, I don't know how that model is going to work going into the future. Where everything is being driven more and more online. So we'll try to keep up the best we can. Um, we do have an Instagram, we have a Facebook, we barely do any of that stuff. Um, I don't know how my dad and brother feel, but I think social media is like one of the most poisonous things on the planet, but it's really good for business. Me, me and you talked about that in British Columbia, Aaron, because you were kind of giving me the business, like, what are you doing, you idiots? Get online, you know, start promoting yourselves. And it's really hard for me to motivate myself to do that. I uh, still would be giving you guys crap if I lived there, so I'll just do it now. You really need to yeah, take advantage no, of social no, media. It's, it's necessary. <laughs> We've really dropped Aaron the ball on that. The, Aaron being the friend that he is, came in <laughs> one morning and chewed our ass about not putting more up on Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and I, I mean, because he was right. <laughs> we talk about doing more of that kind of stuff. <laughs> we, we talk about it. We We're do have plans we on that. Action. Yeah. Um, we're going to do more content. I mean, our biggest advantage is, is what we can share from our knowledge base. And now that we've, now that Tommy and I, uh, you know, we've done some content on the grip trigger now that we've put out and we're planning on uh, tips at least weekly uh, shooting tips and kind of sharing our life. And it's just for us and our, our mindset, self-promotion is really difficult for us. So, but that doesn't mean we can't 
um, share knowledge. And that's where we, we really want to uh, focus our attention is uh, just like you, you, you do, Aaron, you give this freely to anybody that's watching you and you've benefited so many people. We want to do the exact same thing um, much more than we ever have in the past. And that's definitely in our plans this year. Um, we may not have, re- have everything on the website uh, that's in our store, but we've got a good online presence and we're trying to build that part of the business, especially because if you're going to grow as a business, there's only, only so many people in Denver. So, and we need to grow that business and keep everybody making a really good living in there. So, um, Tommy's working on that website all the time. What do you have? Yeah, I just want to reiterate again for guys that have specialty arrow builds or, or have specific questions. We enjoy talking on the phone. We, we like working with people. So anybody that's in that situation feels like they just don't know where to go or don't know, you know, or just have some questions on their setups, please pick up the phone. Cause that's, that's really what we, we specialize in. It's kind of that customer service aspect. I want to add a little bit to that for, you know, the, I mean, there's nothing wrong with ordering things, you know, online, obviously you guys offer an online store, but one one of the things to remember is when you have, if you call and you talk about trading in a recurve, buying a recurve, buying optics, a compound, what optics you should use when, when you, when you have that ability to talk to gentlemen, like we have on the podcast right now, we're very accomplished hunters. Uh, very good at tuning, you know, knowing the the art, right? Where you can ask a guy, you can ask Danny, hey, you know, I'm going on a sheep hunt. What kind of gear do I need, right? Support that shop because that knowledge did not come free. Whether that knowledge from beating up your body and taking time off work or whatever, like you're not just buying an arrow. You're also buying into the family. And, and when I say buying into the family, you're getting what that family offers and all the hard work they put into that rather than just ordering it from someone you've never met before. Um, and that goes a long way for me because, you know, when you have those very in-depth questions of what power of optics, what kind of tripod, how should I set up or how should I load my pack? How should I tune my bow? You know, support the family that can do that where nothing wrong with some of the bigger shops I highly doubt you're going to call any pro shop and talk to someone's level of not just tuning or, or whatever, but also putting animals on the ground as Danny or that shop as a whole. And same thing with coaching and hunting, uh, you know, both with uh, senior and junior, you know, you're not probably not gonna be able to get on the phone with, with a, you know, high level archery coach that has also put multiple elk on the ground. So I'm a big, you know, I mean, I, I really urge people to support the shops like Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, them specifically because of what they offer. Yeah, thank you. Uh, coaching is still primarily what I do now. Um, my learning curve has gone way up there, and I love to share some of the stuff since we've been together that I've learned. Um, three times the coach I was when, when I was spending time with you. Um, almost every week somebody flies in to see me now and it's a great joy for me. I've got friends all over the place now, um, provide me an opportunity to meet a really great guy in Australia and went out there for us to, uh, hunt with him and New Zealand for red stag. And I mean, um, and that was just a pure joy of a good friendship as much as the hunt. So, and seeing a new country, um, I don't know anybody that can tell you as much about a recurve and a compound as Danny. Um, but everybody in our shops really immersed in that lifestyle and highly, highly knowledgeable. 
uh, you got a shooting question, call me, reach out, send me a text or an email or call the shop. Um, you know, I spend more time online every day answering a coaching question than anything else, probably, uh, as far as my, my off time goes. Um, it's just something we like to do. It's something that does help our business. And, uh, we invite everybody to, um, give us a call. Um, if you need some help. You guys have anything else? I'll say again, we talked about this earlier, but as far, you know, going, kind of going back to broadheads, um, just this morning, and I bring this up because it was the most recent example, but a guy drew a, a bull moose tag in Colorado, and he wants to shoot it with his longbow. And so he, he sent us an email just inquiring, hey, I need some direction here. Are you willing to give me some advice for getting some arrows tuned and, and a broadhead? And we went right down the same questions that I talked to you earlier about. We're not just going to go, oh, yeah, you need a cutthroat broadhead and, and this in this arrow, you know, any, anybody that walks out of our store, they don't have perfectly flying arrows in a, in a whole setup that fits their criteria that accomplishes what they want to accomplish. Then we failed that person. So you're not, we're not salesmen. We're, we're not going to blow smoke um, just because like the cutthroat is our broadhead. That, that's just not the kind of guys that we are try to be as honest as we can about broadheads again, right? The gives and the takes. Um, Cause if you want to get one characteristic, you're going to have to give up on, on another. And so those are the kind of conversations that we normally have. Um, and the, you know, like I said, we're, we're not salesmen. I think that is the best way to sell to somebody is to try to figure out what they need and give them that thing. Um, but it's not that, it's not that greasy used car feel, or at least we try to stay away from that as much as we possibly can. Yeah. I can say like watching all of them work, like when there's nothing worse. And I, I mean, I get it, but going into a, a, a pro shop and, um, or, or, or a big box store and, 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 and someone maybe a little younger with not much experience jamming a specific broadhead down your throat because the margins are better for that. They haven't really ever put anything on the ground with that specific broadhead. And, and it, it, it's, it's, it is slightly irritating because, you know, it could be potentially bad advice where, again, you guys have shot many animals and have really good experience with that and give the pros and cons to all of them. So, yeah, again, I, I can't highlight what, what Tommy's saying enough with that. Um, and I will add, I agree with you 100%. Uh Social media is extremely toxic, and as I'm giving you guys shit about yeah. it, I am working on my retirement plan to get off social media as fast as humanly possible. So a little bit contradictive, <laughs> uh, but uh, I can't no, agree with Tommy more. It's necessary in the world that we're in. I get it. But from you, I'm not, I'm not social media about that. From Aaron, social media has been a hell of a, uh, of a resource for so many people, though. So there are great positives to it. You've used it in an awesome way, Aaron, in an awesome way. Yeah, I think that people, I, there are people that do it right. That's for sure. It's toxic as shit. 
still, but yes, there are good things There's about it. There's stuff on there, that's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. But not from Aaron, uh, hopefully not ever from us. No, you guys would actually have to post to make it toxic, uh, so. I, I think exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, guys, I, I can't thank you enough for, for everything, truly, as far as, you know, the friendship and support and, and helping me not suck um, through, you know, shooting a stick bow and, and everything else, so thank all of you so much. You've done something for us for, too, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Your friendship over the years has been awesome in way, many ways. Cool. Well, right on. Well, everybody check out Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. Uh, definitely check out their Instagram page. It's amazing. I'm just giving them shit again. They post about once every five weeks. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, give them a call and definitely check out the broadheads as well. I've, I've shot a lot of animals with all three of them and, and, a, and a great broadhead, great family. So thanks again. And thanks for everybody listening.